The following is from Red Hill Baptist Church, where we exist to glorify God, grow more like Jesus, and go with the gospel. To find out more about our ministry, or to contact us, please visit redhillbaptist.org.
Take your copy of God's Word this morning and uh, go back to the book of Philippians again as we have gone all in to Philippians to begin 2021. And we're going to be looking today at uh, chapter 1, uh, focusing particularly on one verse, and we'll be in some other scripture as well. According to a Time magazine article from years ago, uh, Britain's royal family uh, receives an odd assortment of gifts each year. Uh, according to this article, some of the most unusual gifts they receive included 12 boxes of mangoes for Prince Albert, a PhD thesis for Charles and Camilla, and then get this, even a pair of giant turtles given to Queen Elizabeth herself. You know, some gifts that we receive we like. I mean, we're happy to receive them. And some gifts, if we were honest, we'd rather they hadn't. You know, we received them graciously. Uh, today, a lot of gifts are going to be exchanged. I don't know what the exact figure, but it's a lot of money that's spent uh, on Valentine's Day. And people are going to give boxes of chocolate today and jewelry and stuffed animals and probably even edible arrangements. Some of you ever gotten one of those before, an arrangement you can eat. A lot of gifts are going to change hands today, and we give because we love. We give because we love. And if we were to pause and begin to think about it, we could fill page after page with uh, listing out the good gifts that our Heavenly Father gives to us because He loves us. The greatest gift, of course, is what we just talked about and sang about, the cross, that is salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Our God is the perfect gift giver. He's the perfect gift giver. He never makes a mistake. He never forgets. And He always gives the perfect gift at just the perfect time. But it doesn't always feel that way. That's what I want to talk to you about today. In fact, I want to talk to you about one of His most misunderstood gifts that He gives. It's a gift that we really we don't like it. Uh, we wouldn't ask for it. Uh, we, in fact, would like to return it. it. It just seems out of place with all the other good gifts that God gives to us. And if you go to Philippians chapter 1, I'll show you uh, what that gift is. Philippians chapter 1, and I want to focus in on verse 29. I want to read it first in the NLT. Uh, Philippians 1, 29. For you have been given, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. 
Now, we like the first part of that verse. You've been given the privilege of trusting in Christ. That is salvation, the forgiveness of sin, a home in heaven, uh, uh, joy and peace and, and bliss in the presence of Jesus. We love that part, but it's the second part of the verse that makes us uncomfortable, and I mean literally so, where it talks about we're given the privilege of suffering for Christ. Salvation and suffering. Both of those are gifts from the hand of a loving Father. In Philippians 1.29 in the New King James, it says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. You've been given and has been granted. That phrase, it has been granted, has the idea, the sense of to give someone as a sign of of one's beneficent goodwill towards someone, to give graciously, to bestow generously. And we understand that with the first part of the verse. It's been granted to you the privilege of believing and trusting in Jesus and salvation. It's the second part that we struggle with. Wait a minute. It's been granted to us to be given graciously and and generously and, and as a beneficent goodwill toward us that we can suffer for Christ. We really wish he hadn't. We really wish he would keep this gift. But I want to hopefully change your mind about that today. This is not the kind of message that a lot of Christians in 2021 want to hear. To understand that suffering is a part of the Christian life. In fact, some listening said, you know what? If I knew he was going to preach on suffering, I would have stayed home today. I would have just maybe fast-forwarded through it online so I soothed my conscience. We kind of like what Vance Habner, the old evangelist, said. He said, we leave comfortable homes to ride in comfortable cars, to sit in comfortable churches, to hear comfortable sermons. But then he goes on to say something we don't like. What do we know about the reproach of Christ? I mean, if all we have is comfort, and we have a lot of comfort, what do we know about the reproach? Of Jesus Christ. And beloved, we like it that way. We love to leave comfortable homes and drive in comfortable cars to sit in a comfortable church and hear comfortable sermons. And by the way, that you can do that in a lot of places. And, and there are a lot of churches that will just be comfortable. But we have to preach the whole counsel of God. And I don't know if you've noticed, and one of the reasons I bring in this message is, I don't know if you've noticed, but things have changed even in our own country. It seems the winds have changed. We as believers, as Christians, we're not popular anymore. We're not in the majority anymore. We're not looked upon with favor anymore. In fact, more and more it seems that we as believers are being looked upon more and more with scorn and mockery and hatred. In fact, some are even done tolerating us. I mean, they've tolerated us and put up with us. They want to silence us. They want to get rid of us. They want to eradicate this place, this nation, from a Christian witness and from Christian people. How much longer we will enjoy the freedoms that we have now, I do not know. I'm convinced that we are moving rapidly in America. And we've been saying this probably for years, and we saw a little sign of it. But it seems that things have really sped up in recent days, at least from my observation. It seems to me, I'm convinced, that we're moving rapidly in America into a time where it could literally, literally cost us to live our life for Jesus Christ, to stand upon the truth of the Word of God. But this should not surprise us. 
Because we've really been, well, we've been coddled and cared for and protected in so many ways, in, in ways that a lot of our brothers and sisters have never experienced. Not only in church times in the early church and down throughout church history, but even today, a lot of our brothers and sisters, they're not meeting in the comfort that we're meeting in. In fact, they're meeting in secrecy. They're meeting in, in uh, hidden places. They're meeting with the reality that if they're found out, it's going to cost them, and I mean cost them dearly. In fact, on this very Lord's Day, there are those, no doubt, that are going to give their life, literally, they're going to be martyred for the faith. They're going to be martyred for Jesus Christ. And the Bible, we read in the Bible all these verses, and maybe we just felt like, well, that doesn't really apply to us. But I want to ask you to look at uh, three passages. You can turn to the third one because the, that's the longest one I want to read with you. I'll read the other two and you can just mark the reference if you'd like. But I want to share some passages with you. And, and the Bible is very clear that we are a people that we should expect hardship. We should expect suffering for Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Not might, not maybe, they will. Matthew five ten through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then if you would look with me in First Peter chapter 4. You can put your finger here in Philippians if you want. Of course, by now, it may fall open to Philippians if you've been studying on Thursday nights with us and then on Sundays. But in First Peter chapter 4, I want you to read this passage along with me so you can see. Then we'll come back to Philippians 1. In First Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Very encouraging words. And by the way, we study through First Peter, if you remember, in recent days, in recent years. First Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Because that's what happens as believers. Don't close it up. We're going to keep going. But as believers, we, we find it strange. Like, all I'm trying to do is live for Jesus. All I'm trying to do is what's right. Why, are, why am I getting pushed back? Why are people upset with me? Why am I facing these things? He says, don't consider it strange. Verse 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are approached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer, watch this, according to the will of God. Wait a minute. Don't close it up yet. So sometimes it is God's will that we suffer. It's been given to you the privilege of trusting in Christ 
and suffering for Christ. It's a gift. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Alright, so we've gotten three other passages there. Let's go back now to Philippians 1. And I want to back up. And I want to begin reading at verse 28 and read down through verse 30 this time. Philippians 1, this time verse 28. And not in any, any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted, it's been given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know if anybody listening to me is going to be called upon to suffer as a martyr for your faith in Christ. I mean, it could happen. I remember years and years and years ago, I think I was pastoring in, in my first church, you remember the, the shooting at Columbine? And the young lady, I believe her name was Cassie Bernal. And if you remember the story, you know, she was asked, you know, do you believe in God? And she, she confessed her faith in the Lord, lost her life. That happened in America. Many of our brothers and sisters around the world are suffering, as I've already mentioned. But, but we will suffer in various ways. It may be at home, it may be at school or work or in our neighborhood. Some, no doubt, listening to me, you've already had pushback. You've already had uh, some mild form of persecution. And by the way, notice it doesn't say it's always martyrdom. It says you will suffer. And there are various ways of suffering. In fact, some of you may be suffering right now because of your faith in Christ. I ran across a list someone made that listed some of the ways that you may suffer as a believer. And perhaps you've already faced some of these things. Being avoided. How many kids, you know, they're avoided because they try to live for Christ at school and people say, you know, don't go around them. Uh, they're kind of weird or somebody at work does that. They're ridiculed. You may face being ridiculed, mocked, isolated, ignored, neglected, overlooked, bypassed, cursed, questioned, abused, mistreated, slandered. All those things can happen and more if you'll live godly for Christ Jesus. Sometimes it's a sideways laugh and a mock and, and a pointing and a snickering and just kind of you know, look at them. And sometimes it's an in-your-face threat. Either you do this or there will be consequences. And so today what I want to do is I want to encourage you. You say, well, you haven't done a good job so far. Well, well listen, stay with me. I want to encourage you and help you and help all of us to be prepared for these times in our life. And so this is kind of a preparation. If you've not already faced these things, and I believe a lot of people already have, in some way, shape, or form, your faith, there's been pushback, there's been some kind of consequence for it. But if you've not already faced this, I want to encourage you and also prepare you for when those days come. And in fact, let me apologize. Let me begin by apologizing to anyone who was told when they came to faith in Christ that everything was going to be smooth sailing from then on. Don't ever do that. Don't say come to Jesus and your life will be smooth and there will be nothing but joy and peace and beautiful roses and sunshine. That is not true. In fact, you come to Jesus and things are probably going to get harder in your life. See, we were promised a safe landing, not smooth sailing, but we're also promised that throughout all the storms of life, there's one that sticks closer than a brother. 
the Lord Jesus himself. And, you know, following Jesus is hard at times. It is. Uh, it causes problems. Uh, John fifteen twenty says it this way. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Jesus says if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. How about Acts 14.22? Acts 14.22 says, Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Now, Joel Osteen's not going to tell people that. But God's word does. And we need to hear God's word. Paul knew what it was to suffer. He suffered greatly for his Lord. He was writing from prison in Rome. We think he's under house arrest at this time that he's writing this. And you remember that he is writing a letter and the theme of it is joy. Paul knew the blessings and the benefits of suffering. Philippians chapter 3, you're there in Philippians. Philippians 3.10, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. We don't think like that. We, we don't mind knowing him and the power of his resurrection. Amen. Resurrection power. But we don't want to know about the fellowship of his sufferings. Uh, we don't want to be conformed to his death. And so while there's a lot we could say about suffering today, a lot we could say about persecution, I want to just kind of ground my comments in these verses that we just read, Philippians 1, 28 through 30, and give you four realities to remember. Four realities to remember when you are suffering for Jesus. Now, this is not suffering because of our own mistakes. It's not suffering for wrongdoing. It's not suffering for our sin. This is suffering for Jesus. Four realities to remember when you face pushback, mockery, ridicule, laughing, being ignored, or even more extreme versions of persecution. Four realities to remember when suffering for Jesus. Number one, are you ready? We mustn't be scared. We mustn't be scared. Remember, they are lost. We mustn't be scared. Remember, they are lost. You say, well, that's a weird way of saying that. What do you mean by that? Well, I took it right from the verse. Notice the clarity of verse 28. It starts out, says, and in no way terrified by your adversaries. Already when you read that phrase, you learn a couple of things. Number one, you learn you have some adversaries. You say, well, I don't want adversaries. Too bad. We don't get a choice in it. I don't want adversaries either. I don't like people not liking me. I don't like people hating me. I don't like people coming against me. But if you're going to live godly for Christ Jesus, you're going to have adversaries. Jesus says, listen, you're not greater than me. And by the way, he was perfect. He never did anything wrong. And they, they've slayed him on a cross. And, and he says here, don't be scared. The, in the original, it's the idea of a horse that gets spooked. You ever been around a horse and it gets spooked and it runs off in terror? And by the way, it's a dangerous thing if you're around a horse that gets spooked. It has the idea of being intimidated. Don't be intimidated by your adversaries. Intimidation, we know that's the way the enemy works so many times. Try to intimidate us. If you don't conform, there'll be a price to pay. You don't go along, there's gonna, something's going to happen to you. He says, don't be intimidated. Don't be terrified. It says, not in any way terrified by your adversaries. And then it says, which to them is a proof of perdition. In other words, these adversaries, these people that are persecuting you for your faith, they're lost people. They're doomed. They're headed for destruction. 
Can I just ask you a question? And I don't answer out loud, but just think about this question for a moment. Why do we expect lost people to, to act like anything but lost people? I mean, honestly. Why do we expect lost people to act like anything but lost people? We do it all the time. Lost people, they sin and do horrible things. And we say, I can't believe they did that. Why? They're lost. Because the truth of the matter is we're saved people and we do horrible things. God forgives us and God helps us. But lost people are going to behave like lost people. I mean, they're lost. They're without God. They're without hope in this present world. But it's interesting where it says that phrase in verse 28, um, which to them is to a proof of perdition. Some Bible scholars believe that this means that as these persecutors, they watch the way that Christians respond. That is, they're not afraid. They're not intimidated. They don't act like a horse running off scared, but they humbly and lovingly kind of stand upon the truth of the Word of God. It, it, it can be used of God to show those adversaries their own need of God. In fact, we find that happened in Paul's life right here in Philippians. You're in Philippians 1, we're at verse 28 right now. If you back up to verse 12 and 13, I want you to notice what he says. Philippians 1, 12 and 13. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me, you know, he's writing from prison, the things that have happened to me have actually turned out, watch this, for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And in other words, God used Paul's hardship. You remember he was chained to a soldier. The shift change would come and he had a real captive audience, literally. And he would share Christ with them. And, and the gospel began to spread throughout the Roman army and the Praetorian Guard and, and the household of the ruler. And, and God used his chains. And when we stand faithful to Jesus Christ, God can use our testimony to reach those who hate Christ, to those who don't know Christ. How many people have come to faith in Christ because they've watched people who've been persecuted and, and suffer even at their own hands and yet they realize their need of Christ. And through the faithfulness of those men and women of God, those who hated Christ were brought to faith in Christ. You don't know what the ultimate goal is. Ultimately, God is working to make you more like Jesus. We know that. And to glorify Himself. But we don't always know exactly why God puts us in some tight spaces, some hard spaces, and puts us in hot water. And maybe He's got people right there where your testimony, your faithfulness, the way you respond is going to impact those people for the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, I know that's good preaching and hard living. But that's what we find here. So don't, don't, don't be scared. Don't be terrified when you face pushback for Christ. Lovingly, Boldly lean on the Lord. Rest in Him. Perhaps He'll use your hardship, your suffering, to bring others to faith in Christ. There's a second reality you remember when you're facing suffering for Jesus, and it's this. We are saved. That's why we're suffering. We're saved. That's why we're suffering. We're still in verse 28. If you look at the end of the verse this time, after it talked about them being a proof of perdition, it says, but to you of salvation and that from God. We need to remember that the reason we are facing pushback, the reason that we're suffering, the reason we're having hardship is because we're saved. We belong to God. We've been washed in the blood. Our faith is living. It's real. It's vital. And we're suffering because we belong to Jesus. If we just went along with the crowd, if we just blended in, 
if we just went along with the world, if we just remained in our lost condition, if we were just like everybody else, we wouldn't be facing suffering like that. We would just be one of the ones and we might even join in in persecuting other people. But the fact that you are suffering on behalf of Christ is a reminder that you belong to Christ. And you say you're saved. And that's why we're suffering, which brings me to the third reality, and it's this. We are suffering for Jesus. We're suffering for Jesus. Our suffering is not just a random, worthless exercise. Look at what it says in verse 29. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to, watch this, suffer for His sake. When we suffer, we're entering into the sufferings of Christ. We're entering into, as Paul calls it, the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, we know nothing of the true suffering of Christ. He suffered like no one ever suffered. Not only physically as a perfect man, but think about as God himself taking upon himself the sin of the whole world. He suffered as no one's ever suffered. But as we suffer for his sake, We're beginning to enter into the fellowship of his sufferings. We're beginning to understand a little bit more of what it's like and what it was like for Jesus. Um, We're suffering for his honor and his glory. This suffering, it brings him glory and and it brings benefit to us. It brings benefit to us. We grow so much when we suffer. If all we did was to leave our comfortable homes and drive in comfortable cars and sit in a comfortable church and listen to comfortable sermons, we're going to be big spiritual babies. If there's no hardship, if there's no suffering, we know this from a human point, a human standpoint. How many times have you let your kids through the years or you let your grandkids now, and you let them go through some hardship? You don't bail them out of everything, do you? Sometimes you let them make the choice. You try to give loving counsel. You try to give wisdom. But you realize, just like you at that age, you couldn't be told. You had to learn the hard way. And so you say, you know what? I'm going to let them go through this. And I'm going to let them suffer the consequences. I don't mean you're going to let them harm themselves ultimately or hurt themselves ultimately. But you're letting them go through some hardship. Why? Because you know that does something to them and nothing else can. It matures them. It makes them wiser. It makes them think about things in a different light. It makes them see things in a different light. Helps them to realize, oh, there's consequences for my choices. And though they suffer, you as a loving parent, you let them suffer. Why? Because you love them. You want to see them mature. You want to see them grow. You want to see them be a man or woman who is wise and is faithful and has wisdom. John Piper said it this way, there is more of God to be had in times of suffering than any other time. And we know that's true. We run to the Father, at least I hope we do, in those times of suffering. But if everything's just a vacation, if everything's just wonderful, I mean, why do you even need God? I mean, except to be your dispenser of blessings. There's the fellowship of the sufferings. As we suffer, we lean on Christ. As we suffer, we learn more about Christ. We grow in our faith. We grow in our dependence. We grow in our maturity. We're made into men and women of God. It was Meyer who said this, and this is a hard word, but it's a good word. Look up and take each throb of pain, each hour of agony as a gift. Dare to thank Him for it. Look inside the envelope of pain for the message it enfolds. It is a rough packing case, but there is treasure in it. 
Hmm. I don't know if I'm there yet. Thank Him for your suffering. This is heavy, I know. This is uncomfortable. We want a feel-good message. We want something that's warm and fuzzy. I'll be honest with you. I, I wasn't quite as excited about coming over and preaching this message. This is a hard message to preach. I don't think many people are going to go out and say, I enjoyed the message today, preacher. Uh, no, I didn't. But it's needful. This is even better than a warm and fuzzy feeling. This is maturity in Christ that can only be had through suffering. A.W. Tozier was right when he wrote these words years ago. Willingness to suffer for Jesus' sake. This is what we've lost from the Christian church. We want our Easter to come without the necessity of Good Friday. We forget that before the Redeemer could rise and sing among his brethren, he must first bow his head and suffer among the brethren. Hmm. We can't have Easter without Good Friday. Beloved, in the Christian life, the way up is down. It's one of the paradoxes of the Christian life. The way up is down. But I've got a fourth encouraging reality for you today. And that's this. We're not alone in our suffering. We're not alone in our suffering. The enemy wants you to think that you're all alone in your suffering. He loves to isolate, to attack, to make you think you're the only one. Paul addressed this here. Look at verse 30 this time. Philippians 1.30 having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Uh, it may seem like it at times, but dear Christian, others are bearing the burden too. Others are suffering too. In fact, I think uh, we don't even realize what our brothers and sisters go through. We don't realize what they're facing. Um, Paul suffered. The early church suffered. People throughout church history suffered. And people in this room with you have suffered. If we're going to live godly lives, we're going to face various forms of persecution. That may be something that we would consider mild. It may be something that's more intense. Maybe something that's very costly to us. Cost our job. Cost our standing. Cost friendships. Cost whatever. Ultimately, we know the highest level would be, we would consider, I think, costing us our very physical lives. We've got to understand something today, and it's what I'm trying to press upon your heart, and I'm trying to grasp myself, and it's this. Suffering is a good gift from the hand of a loving, heavenly Father. And I don't know that I, I don't think I can impress it upon your heart. I think only the Lord can impress that upon our hearts. The Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 29, it's been given to you not only the privilege of trusting in Christ's salvation, but also of suffering for Christ. That is the idea of suffering. We struggle with this in America especially. We've had a very warm and safe and cozy experience when it comes to Christianity we were held in high regard for many years. It was the noble thing. It was the right thing. Even those who didn't even love God would maybe align themselves with a church. So they can say, oh yes, I'm a church-going person. I belong to this church. Politicians, oh yes, I go to this church. Or whatever. 
because people would say, oh, you know, they're church-going people. They're, they must be Christian people. There's coming a day, I think, soon, even in our own nation, where the sheep and the goats are going to be separated as the heat is turned up. We're not saved to be warm and cozy. We're saved to shine brightly for Jesus. Ted Ingstrom told about this story, and I'll close with it today. He said he was cleaning out a desk drawer, and uh, he found a flashlight that he had not used in over a year. And he got the flashlight out, and he flipped the switch, and it gave no light. He unscrewed the flashlight and looked in to try to shake the batteries out, but they wouldn't budge. They wouldn't come out. Finally, after some effort, they finally came out, but what a mess. The battery acid had corroded the entirety of that flashlight, the inside of that flashlight. And he said that the batteries were new when he put them in. They were new batteries. And he stored them in a warm, safe place where there was one problem. Batteries were not made to be stored away in a warm, safe place. They were designed to be used. They were designed to be turned on. And he said it's the same with us. We weren't created to be warm and safe and comfortable. As believers, we were designed and created to be switched on, to put our love to work, to apply our patience in difficult trying situations. In other words, to let our light shine. And can I just remind you and ask you, where does the light shine the brightest? In a dark place. We're living in dark days. We're living in a dark world. And the Bible very clearly says, and let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so I ask you today, are we shining brightly for Jesus? Are we receiving with thanksgiving God's good gift of not only salvation, but of suffering. Let us pray. Father, this has been a heavy word. You designed us, you created us, you made us, you redeemed us. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know we want comfort, we want ease. We want to be entertained. We want pleasure. We want an easy life. But you love us too much for that. <clears throat> you want us to mature. You want us to grow. You want us to be like Jesus. And as a loving Heavenly Father, you know that part of that growing process is suffering and hardship. And so, Lord, help us. We are weak. We are needy. We're so immature. Help us to receive from your loving hand not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also for suffering for Christ. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I know there might be some listening right now. They may not have shared this with anybody, but they too are facing pushback. It might be in their home with a family member. It might be at work. 
There might be a young person listening who really seeks to live for Christ and it's cost them. I pray for strength for my brother or sister. I pray that you would open their eyes, help them to see that you love them, that you're working in their life, that what they're going through is worth it, that you're doing a work in their life that can happen no other way. So Lord, help us to trust you, help us to love you, help us to live for you, and help us to shine brightly for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We close today with the song, I think it's a good song to close with, Near to the Heart of God. That's where we need to stay, especially in difficult days. So would you stand together as we sing Near to the Heart of God. Thank you for listening today. We trust that our time together was a blessing to you. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and of course on our website at redhillbaptist.org. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you.